Hey everybody, welcome back to Gray Malkin Lane's newest Patreon episode. Uh, we're going to talk about the character Birdie today. I'll throw that out at the beginning. Ooh. We have lots to say about Birdie. I love her. Uh, but I get to welcome my good friend, uh, Mr. Terry Blast, to the show to hang out today. How are you, Terry? Good. How are you? I'm so good. It's so good to see your face, my friend. Likewise. <laughs> Terry and I have a, a lot in common. We met a few years ago because weirdly we have both made a documentary that intersects with Mormonism. <laughs> Although our stories are very different. We Who knows if mine up... will ever come out? <laughs> we, both grew up, uh, we both grew up gay. We both grew up Mormon. Uh, we both came out a little later in life, although Terry before me. We are both writers who have worked for Marvel uh, and we both love The Wizard of Oz. So there's a number of things that yeah. you have in common. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild but hey, I'm, I don't know if that makes you and me unique or you and me just like every other <laughs> there, there are a lot of gay Mormons out there but you and I have very different versions of our story I yeah uh Terry and I met I, a few years ago uh when he was in Salt Lake and we hit it off as friends and have been buddies ever since you know I, I guess I don't want to get too deep into it obviously people are here to listen to, <laughs> about the x-men but I will say that the I didn't realize how different I think some of my experience had been leaving behind the church than a lot of other queer men who were Mormon. Because <clears throat> when I did all those interviews and I messaged and I was like talking to a lot of people, I realized that a lot of queer men in Mormonism had the same, like a very similar experience, right? They yeah, were like, yeah. you know, grew up Idaho or Utah um, or wherever. Um, loved the church, went to church, knew that I was gay, but like, you know, went to seminary, went on a mission, went to BYU, got married, had some kids, and then had a moment of like, I don't think I can do this anymore. And then had this intense, like, they, a lot of, a lot of men told me they had this intense night of like, going down the rabbit hole, where they like looked up everything they were told not to look up, read everything. And then most of them came across the CE s letter mm -hmm. right? and i i didn't even know what that was when i started talking to a lot of people for the documentary which was very ironic because when i finished my mission i bought a car in idaho i drove to la and then i never went to church again because <laughs> i was just like i was done i was like ready to be an adult in terms of like i'm moving far away from my family i can do whatever i want and i think that you know knowing that i was biracial and mexican um and I didn't choose those things, I think at a young age helped me be like, well, then I didn't choose to be gay either. So the things that I was being told in church, yeah, I believed a lot of them because that's what you're being fed. But also a lot of them, I was like, no, that's not right. I, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think, you so, know, I work, as, I work as a therapist in my day job, you're aware. You could take six people who are all in the same family with the same set of problems and interview each one of them. And they come from the same yeah. DNA and the same set of problems. Grew up in the same house. But they all have a very different version of the story and how it impacted them. And that's yeah. what I've learned doing therapy over the years is you could take a thousand people with de depression, the same symptoms, and they all have different versions yeah. of the story. You could take a thousand gay Mormons who were married and have children, and they all have different versions of their own story. Even if they're related by blood, it's, it's right. a completely different set of circumstances. Maybe they need the glow. <laughs> but there is a shared bond. The yes. glow from Birdie. We all need her glow. I would love her therapy glow. We're going to well, talk the, about that. Well, the ironic thing about that whole story is that um what the 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 missionary who wrote the ces letter was a missionary that i knew he was in my mission at the same time we served in the same area 
but he was a, a American Sign Language missionary and I was a Spanish missionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but like I knew who he was. We, it, and it's weird speaking to him after the fact. He's like, oh, I knew you were gay on the mission. Like, oh, of course you did. Everybody knew, you know, give me a break. But like, um, it was just weird because I never came across that letter, but I had this like connection to the person who wrote it. So yeah. Anyway. So for those of us listening, you can Google this, the CES letter. There was a guy, I'm not going to name drop here who yeah. had a bunch of questions about the Mormon church who wrote like genuine all. questions though. Yeah, like, yeah. Who like wrote them all out. Like, here's the things about this religion that does not make sense to me. It seems a lot like a cult and he sent it to the church and then like published the letter online. So at, it was the, at to... the at the like suggestion of his grandfather, gave giving him genuine advice of like, well, maybe write the church educational system. And this is a this is a a document that people who have grown up so Mormonism teaches you very strongly, like you never ask any questions. And so for people who find this letter, they're like, oh yeah, there's actually a lot of legitimate questions. And I land in the place not to isolate any of our Mormon listeners, but I do sure. think Mormonism has a lot of culty kind of think things, and it takes a long time to climb out of all that. Uh, I mean, we've mentioned Mormonism on the show a few times. I don't delve too deep, but it's a it's a whole process to come out. It's a I have many. Like, it's a little bit like if you move overseas, and uh, no matter where you're from, if you find other people from America, you you kind of band together because you understand yeah. each other. Uh, and I think it's that way for a lot of people who grew up Mormon. Is you, when you find each other, there's a shared sense of understanding. When ten for ten, yeah. 10 to fifteen percent of the population is gay. That's a whole bunch of ex-Mormons out there who, who you and I uh, can, uh, can unite with. Yeah, I don't I don't want to isolate any Mormon listeners either. There are, I, there are many members of my family who are Mormon. I love them very much. Um, I, you know, we just agree to disagree sometimes. Um, you can cut out as much of this as you want. Oh, no, no, we're great. But, but I think that like um, the way that I, I because there are so many Mormon people who I think are good people who, you know, are you know whatever but like i think that the way i try to look at it, it just me personally is and maybe people would take offense to this as well but i feel like there's a big difference between um i guess the liars and the lied to if that makes any sense yeah yeah um absolutely. and so that's sort of how i like to look at it but um i just I, yeah i just feel like um i was asked to speak once at this organization i won't name it um that's sort of like for queer mormons and I looked it up and then emailed the organization was like, I don't know if I'm the right person for you because I am not spiritual. I am like, I am not religious. I have left behind all of that. And your organization seems to look like it's still very tied to Mormonism. Like, I don't have a problem speaking at your group, but if you think I'm not the right fit, that's fine. And they were like, they basically said something that I found interesting. They're like, we're here for anybody who is on any part of the spectrum of LDS and LGBTQ. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting because it could be somebody who's like a a lesbian who's like still very much Mormon and goes to the LDS church, you know, weekly for whatever reason, but she acknowledges that she's queer. Or it could be like, a trans gay dude who's like, uh, not for me, but I need to just talk to people who understand where, you know, where I'm coming from. Yeah. So and again, when you take percentages, when you take percentages of the yeah. population, you take a concentrated population growth, like Mormons in Utah or Idaho, and then you say 15% are gay, one to 2% are trans. There's a lot of people in both places who come from the same kind of framework. Uh, but here, here we are, you and I, both married to men, both living our best lives as we sip coffee over both our... coffee. 
over our Zoom call and nerd That's how this all started, right? <laughs> I had a question about coffee for you because it what took me it? a long time to to drink coffee. I started drinking coffee maybe around the age of 26 when I was doing my thesis and I was like, I need something stronger than Diet Coke to stay up all night and draw. So um, I kind of got used to it as an acquired taste. I still take a lot of cream and sugar because I feel like it took me a long time to get there, not because Mormonism taught me that coffee was a sin, but because it's an acquired taste that is, it's kind of a harsh, strong drink. I mean, it's one thing at the start. When you grow up Mormon, they teach you alcohol and coffee and drugs and cigarettes and all that stuff are super bad. So for a lot of people who come out later in life, there's a, or, or leave Mormonism later in life, there's like an idea of like, ooh, these things are dangerous. I love coffee. When I first came out, I got a job. Oh, I have some funny stories that I can't tell on the podcast. <laughs> okay. Remind me to tell you the funny coffee story later, but it's okay. not one I'm comfortable sharing uh, publicly. Sure. Uh, but my, one of my first jobs was at a pride center in Utah. And the pride center at the time was literally on top of a coffee shop. So it was kind of easy for me to just sample different things. I would get a latte or an espresso and kind of learn what I liked. Over time, I learned I just like a good drip coffee. Uh, I, I drink it black. Sometimes I'll mix some muscle milk in with it because it's a good way for me to get my protein in the morning. Uh, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm at like three or four cups a day pretty consistently. I felt very embarrassed going into a coffee shop and not knowing how to order coffee <laughs> not knowing what the difference between a latte or an espresso or a mocha or any of that was and I feel like there's like some sort of market some sort of class that can be that can be made it for is like people it much like have, much like have, drinking alcohol it's a whole education yeah yeah you gotta you gotta learn your stuff mm -hmm. so when Terry and I uh Terry's been on my show a couple of times we've had a chance to nerd out together a few times I got to see you at FlameCon recently which is lovely yeah. you are you're just one of my favorite people. I talk about you on the Thank show. Every you. time someone mentions your name, I'm like, that's my friend. Oh. <laughs> so I Who's talking that, about me? That, I that's that what I want to know. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, kidding. I mean, it was a joke. <laughs> but I'll take that sincerely. There, I have learned since starting this podcast and kind of interfacing with people, there's kind of a queer comics professional subculture a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so when you take people, Steve Fox and Steve Orlando and Anthony Oliveira and yourself and Connor Goldsmith and Luciano Vecchio, like I can name all these different names. Uh, when everybody gathers at FlameCon, there's like everyone already knows each other. Uh, Josh yeah. Trujillo, like it's not uncommon for your name to come up because I'm I'm creating a queer space for comics professionals and your name is in that lexicon very, very readily. That feels nice. Josh Trujillo is one of my closest friends. I love Josh. And last year he and I were like, every time we get together at a convention, it never feels like there's enough time. It never feels like, cause we're there working, right? So you see each other for a little bit and then bye. And so last year he and I, along with Josh Corneone, DJ Kirkland, Rex Ogle, Bradley Clayton, Levi Hastings, David Talaska, we all went to Palm Springs. I love that. <laughs> and we just like shared a house for a few days. It was wonderful because we, we were able to just enjoy each other's company and then also kind of nerd out when we felt like it and and then talk, you know, shop when we felt like it, but not in a space where we were, that's what we were there to do. So, yeah. I was just, uh, I was just texting Josh yesterday. He's been gracious to share his phone number. We'll, so we'll, we'll banter back and forth once in a while. He's a great guy. He's a truly yeah, he's great wonderful. guy. Okay. If you so, don't know, he's the current writer of Hulkling and Wiccan and Blue Beetle. So mm -hmm. check out some, Anna Goretzko, I think. So check out his stuff amazing amazing writer uh i i'm in awe of like having all these friends who are so talented now. when this when this episode goes up i will be with josh in los angeles oh that's great you go i'm going to visit yeah i'm going down to visit that. so 
Yeah. I love that. I need to get out more. My children are getting a little older, so travel becomes a little easier. Ah. Or theoretically it does. We'll see. But they're 14 <laughs> and 11 now, where when you and I first met, they were just little dudes. Yeah, yeah. Little, little kiddos. 14? Whoa. 14. I got a teenager who's out as gay and living his just like little happy. Oh my gosh, life. I love he's, it so much. That's amazing. A, and he's so lucky to have you as a dad. He is a genuine sweetheart. There was a moment the other day where someone like at school he hasn't come out to most of his classmates but he's got a best friend who's a girl and someone was like you guys are a couple and he came home and he's like i do not like girls like that but i don't know what to say to that person i'm like you don't have to say anything at all but it's just so cute to see him so aware of himself it was really really lovely okay okay so focusing on business uh, and (laughs) i hope you guys could all hear how lovely terry and i get along this is we we (laughs) just so easy to chat with you we need a couple days right i need to come (laughs) i would love that i would truly i could come to portland i have a gay nephew living in portland now oh wonderful who we'll, we'll talk more about that offline too okay <laughs> there's things going on there too uh let's, okay let's so, do what we came here to do <laughs> so when i started this channel uh as my regular listeners know we I, I wanted it to be a place to explore characters that don't get a lot of exploration so supporting characters side characters are more minor or obscure uh, i did a bunch of the 60s characters i still have a bunch more to do but when my guests come on i like to kind of banter back and forth with them and let them ultimately choose who we are going to select. I tossed some suggestions toward Terry. He tossed some back. I tossed some more and we landed on Birdie. How'd we pick Birdie, Terry? I love Birdie, by the way. You know, I I can't really say other than you suggested her. And then when I looked her up, I saw that she had a high ponytail and I was like, I think I'm in. (laughs) Um, One One of my favorite things about doing these episodes is I get a whole education in a character that I wouldn't normally think about. And I, we haven't even started yet, but I will forever associate with or her with you from now on. I feel lucky in, in that way because I didn't know anything about her. And then now I feel like there's this character that I really like that I like, you know, obscure and I don't know. So yeah, I'm excited. So let's start talking about Birdie. Birdie has gotten a little bit of love in the modern era in that she is back on Krakoa. She's been featured prominently in a couple of places. Resurrection. Uh, by Written by some of our friends. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll talk about that as we get there. Uh, but she first shows up in 1992. This is an era of the X-Men where they had just kind of pared everything down, but also expanded it. They took away a lot of the supplementary characters. They made the teams and the missions more simple but the books were kind of spreading. So this is the blue team, gold team era. X-Men volume two was exploring the blue team. That's uh, right when I came to X-Men comics too. Oh, is it? Is this, a, yeah. this is your, this is your, uh, your adolescent space. Uh, yes. But mine too, actually. This is why, this is why I was so shocked that I, that I felt, so we'll come to this, but I had heard of her. I just didn't know what they were talking about. We'll get there. But that's why I was surprised. I was like, this is when she was introduced. And that's when I was coming to comics, but I didn't know who she was. So, yeah. Yeah, they they were really like kind of pairing things out. Chris Claremont has just left the books and there's new creative talent coming in. Peter David and Wills Portacio and Jim Lee and Scott Lobdell and Fabian Nicieza. And I, I mean, I could go on and on. Uh, but this is the Scott Lobdell Jim Lee book. This is the 1992 kind of famous era this is the volume that like the first issue sold like a bajillion copies. It was like broke all these records, the X-Men volume two, number one. Uh, in this issue, number six in 1992, we see Sabretooth, who this is his like weird business Sabretooth. Like once in a <laughs> while, 
sometimes he's in the jungle hacking shit up and wearing fur but once in a while he like puts on a nice tux that he's had tailored for him and he's like suit coat like smoking a cigar and like look at me i'm the, I don't I'm the leader it. of the hand or or like that's not why i come to saber for, <laughs> for a tuxedo <laughs> he's walking around and he's hunting down the fenris twins uh, who Connor Goldsmith recently called the uh, the incest Nazis, which is perfection. Uh, <laughs> they're trying to start a new Third Reich for reasons. And Sabretooth has a new assistant. There's a woman who goes by Birdie, B-I-R-D-Y. And she has like telepathic powers. And she helps Sabretooth realize like Wolverine and Maverick are tracking him. And so she like blocks them out. And we don't really see a lot of her. She's kind of in the background. She looks like a skinny white lady with long legs. She's like dressed in red. And then she's got this costume that kind of becomes signature for her. There's like a pink swimsuit overlay of the red, like a gold belt and like gold tasseled, like 80 shoulder pads. They're like epaulets and I love it. <laughs> and like super long, like silver hair and like a high pony. We We think of her more as blonde most of the time. Uh, That's what I noticed in this issue was that like in her first, I guess, introduction or here, her hair is like this bluish, light blue, silver kind of whatever. And then every time after that, it's blonde. So she's like the telepath working with Sabretooth. But yeah. her appearance is unique enough to kind of make her stand out a little bit. Uh, but we don't get much on her until her next appearance. Uh, what are your thoughts on this kind of debut of Birdie behind the scenes almost in uh, X-Men number <clears throat> six? I like it. Um, I think that I believe that he mentions or Sabretooth mentions that she has some of her powers are emotional feedback and thought signature, whatever those mean. <laughs> um, I love that she has a big gun. I don't know why, like a big gun that she could possibly unless she has super strength, she can't lift that. So <laughs> I love that just design wise. And I do think her costume's cool. I, I don't know why I like this this epaulette design thing and the high pony, but I think it it's it's slightly like military, and I don't know why, but like I I like her design. I think that it's a good intro for her character. We may maybe we'll get into this later, but in this intro, and while learning about her, I feel like there's sort of similarities you could pull between her and someone like like Harley Quinn. Where like you know she's she's mentally helping Sabretooth this like psycho nut job, and that's sort of what Harley did for the Joker, and their relationship is really messed up. So I think there's lots of like similarities you could draw there, but um, yeah, I thought it was a good, interesting kind of debut for her, for her character with this big gun and shooting this like pink energy telepathy out of her hands. So two things that I find really interesting about her, and this is delving into what we're going to learn about her in a minute. Number one, the choice of the name Birdie. I was going to ask. Automatically. So, I mean, there's that famous movie called, like uh, Bye Bye Birdie, where you get like Anne Margaret on the treadmill singing Bye Bye, bye Birdie. And she's gorgeous, but like not also the greatest singer. <laughs> Go yeah. look that clip up. It's like, it's iconic. I remember them showing this full clip on Mad Men when the series was premiering. It's a, it's a, it's a great. And then Sal uh, like fangirling over it. <laughs> and in that show, uh, there's a male character named Conrad Birdie, who's a famous guy. She's singing goodbye to him. The word Birdie is a little bit like pet namey for me. But it, it I, I don't have any reference for this. It makes me think of like 
a little bit of like film noir, like mafia era where there's like the big tough mob boss and he's got like the birdie on his side. He's got like the bunny or the Bambi or like the girl Friday who hangs out and like assists him in the crime. It's like a very Harley Quinn energy. I can see how that was that why they kind of named her like that. If you're reading Spider-Man right now by Zeb Wells, the character Tombstone is running like the mafia and he's got the white rabbit at his side, kind of in that. Mm. It's like the chippy girl off to the side. Uh, Is it ever stated if this is her name name? No, we don't know her name. name. This is one of the few characters whose name has never been revealed. So this is just her code name? Uh, It maybe, or maybe it's both. Uh, Maybe Sabretooth picked it. Maybe she really likes birds. (laughs) Yeah. We don't exactly know. The other interesting thing about this character, uh, we have a whole universe of telepaths. My God, there are so many telepaths. And everyone's powers works a little bit differently from everybody else's. Rachel does the chrono skimming thing. Jean's got the phoenix. Emma turns into diamond. The Stepford cuckoos are a hive mind. Birdie is a character that seems to have telepathy involved more on an emotional or empathic level. And there are characters like Empath from the Hellions, uh, Manuel de la Rocha, who manipulate pheromones into making people feel certain ways, but they're not super telepathic. Wallflower is another character from the new X-Men who's kind of that way. She Hmm. can manipulate uh, like pheromones, but this is kind of a telepathic version of empathy. Uh, Lady Mastermind, uh, Regan Wingard, has the powers of her dad, who's got the the, the, uh, illusions, but she has like a telepathic bend where she can push it into your mind at the same time. Mm. So there's like subtle ways of changing these power sets. And Birdie's power, she has something that she calls the glow. Now, pause for a moment. I'm an empath in real life. It's something I use in my field. I read people's energies and professionally, at least, I try to match their energies. In my personal life, I try to block people's energies out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, but it, at work, it's, it's, a, it's kind of my job to see where people are at and look for that. So Birdie seems to have this kind of empathic ability that she can yet then use a telepathic bend to, to try to heal people or block their minds out. There's there's an edge of telepathy, but a whole lot of empathy to her. Like, like to, to block certain things out to like keep you in a state of calm, right? That seems to be the way it works. So in this first appearance, she seems to be, I mean, they call her an empath basically, but she's using it to mask Sabretooth's presence from these other people or to like block their minds or shield their thoughts. Uh, in Steve Orlando's Marauder's appearance, which we'll get to in a while, she's very much acting in the role of therapist, like confronting. Oh, she's very. Audience. She's giving you Deanna Troy in that issue. Yes, and I kind of love it. It's wonderful, but uh, yeah. but that's kind of the way I see her powers working. There's this kind of pink energy glow, and we're gonna learn Sabretooth keeps her around because it takes the edge off his rage. He has this like bloodlust, and and Birdie's job is to kind of keep that dull. He's really cruel to her, but she will use her powers to kind of calm him the fuck down so that he can focus. And he's constantly taking his rage back to her to have it like fed again, if you will. Tell me your thoughts on her powers or power sets or how they kind of diversify from other telepaths out there. Well, they do mention that, um, which I think is kind of interesting. They establish somewhere throughout her eight some appearances that she is um, not an omega level telepath. She's like alpha level. So she's strong, but like she's not the strongest. Um, and I think that maybe I'm wrong, but I don't remember too many characters with telepathic powers that, that like shoot them out of their hands. 
Yeah, yeah. Except so, like Psylocke, Psylocke or something has like uh-huh, the focused which, energy, which is tied to Sabretooth later in a mention of Birdie. Um, but but yeah, I feel like it's usually like Gene or Professor X like touching their head <laughs> or you know like glow around their head. But I found it interesting that th- there's like a a panel I remember where she's literally like her arms are outstretched and all this energy is shooting out of her. So I I find that to be interesting. I like that because I think it sets her apart a bit from other telepaths. And I think that there's, (coughs) excuse me, there's a lot of possibility for a character like this, which um, because Steve Orlando is so smart and such a great writer, really kind of utilized in his issue that, that we just mentioned, which we'll get to, but um, so, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, but just that's pretty much it. Just that, like, I think there's there's interesting little things she can do. Like you said, like she can block, you know, um, people telepathically. She also seems to be sort of like pretty techy. Like she knows her way around, like a like a computer chip. <laughs> she... so there's very little we know about her background or her motivations or her history. This is where we try to piece together what we love about a character in this in this without a lot yeah. of exploration, but there's a lot of story to be told. I'm going to jump to the Marvel Universe appendix. A lot of the guys from this site, and I've worked for this site a lot, uh, have also worked on the handbooks. Uh, I'm going to jump to Birdie's pro, uh, profile for just a moment. There's a guy named Norvo. I know him. He's a great researcher, uh, and I trust his Uh, his research. When he writes up about Bertie's powers, I'm just going to read his paragraph here. Mm. He says, summarizing, as a mercenary for hire, the alpha level telepath, Bertie used her powers in a variety of offensive ways. Capable of infiltrating, monitoring, and reading thoughts, she could also use, also actively assault them with a powerful mind blasts or cause bleedings, strokes, or aneurysms. As Sabretooth's unwilling partner in crime, she generally used her gifts to allow people to enter minds or witness and witness or relive memories of the past. This process creating, created a soothing sense of euphoria. This rush became addictive, at least to Sabretooth. Even without the aid of her mutant powers, Bertie was a formidable opponent, trained in the use of various firearms and always carrying an unrevealed number of hand grenades into combat situations. <laughs> Sabretooth was one of the few people capable of intimidating Birdie. It also lists her here as five foot four and 105 pounds, which I don't know exactly how accurate that is, but that's probably from a handbook somewhere where they uh, they try to figure out people's size by stacking them up next to someone else. No, with her legs, she's at least like six feet tall. <laughs> now, I do not think this profile has been updated since her most recent appearances on Kokoa. And so what you and I are talking about, the empathic edge to her power, we're drawing in on the more modern. Yeah. Pieces. But she's unique. I think there's a lot to explore with her. Yeah. I, I In some of these early issues, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but in some of these early issues where she utilizes the glow on Sabretooth, I feel like what we get is... Th- we see how that sort of affects her and in terms of like you know there's a moment where Sabretooth as a young child then appears to her mm-hmm. because she's done the glow whereas in some of the more recent stuff she's sort of seen she's almost seen sort of like uh like a Scrooge ghost like shadows yeah, of these yeah. people you know what I mean like these these people's experiences and so <clears throat> it's interesting how she like I don't think that child was necessarily child Sabretooth was like appearing to Sabretooth it was more appearing to her and affecting her and in their more recent stuff it's interesting to see how she's able to make things appear for other people to sort of help and affect them 
Um, now, now for listeners of the show, in my episode reviewing X-Men Origins Jean Grey number one with the guys from Rage Gear and Derek, we, we do a really cool exploration of how telepathy works. Uh, so go back and listen to that section about how telepathy powers work. Uh, we, we compare one version of them to kind of like a flashlight where you're scanning memories, but you can also enter people's mindscapes, which is not the same as the astral plane. You can go into someone's brain and look at their memories. And Birdie seems to have that type of ability. She can scan your thoughts, but she can also put a version of herself in your mind where those memories are stored because that's a thing our brains do magically. And, uh, and very, like you're putting it very, like in a very Dickens kind of ghost of yeah. Christmas present kind of way. She's, uh, she's hiding in the background and helping you heal. Sabretooth also has a lot of appearances, including in Victor Lavelle's recent Sabretooth series, where in his mindscape, like the beast version of him and like the abused child version of him and like the guy in the suit version of him are all sitting down at a table together, like trying to rule his brain. That's the thing we see in his mind sometimes. And you almost have to kind of wonder if Birdie helped him achieve that. It's a, it's an interesting aspect of her powers. It's so interesting to me how this character that I wasn't really super aware of at all um, is so strongly tied to Sabretooth. Like it, I feel like it's, if you're going to talk about Sabretooth for a while, you probably end up talking about how this character affects him. Mm-hmm. And we will so. get to the trial of Sabretooth <clears throat> on my show one day, but it'll be a few years out because we're sticking <laughs> in the order of appearance for the most part. There you go. So uh, the next year, she's a background in that X-Men 6 appearance. The next year, Larry Hama, who is the infamous Wolverine writer, who, I mean, he's famous for a lot of things. He's incredible. Uh, I emailed him to come on my show once and never heard back, but God, would I love to interview Larry. Maybe one day. Yeah, I would love that. Uh, so uh, Larry Hama is writing a Sabretooth limited series. Sabretooth at this point has become Wolverine's like arch nemesis, like the dark version of Wolverine. And uh, we get a focused story about him from his perspective. Terry, tell us about the Sabretooth series. Had you read it before doing research for this show? No, I hadn't. It's a good read. Um, it's Mark Texia art. It's 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 a good read, but it it's a little it takes it took me a couple times to like really get what was going on. I had to read it two or three times. That's sort of how I felt after reading through you know some of it for the first time. I was like, uh, I don't I don't get some of what's going on, but <clears throat> I think that I don't know. It it I think like it was a good you know exploration of Sabretooth, but also it's it's like he's very naked. A lot of it, isn't he? He's like sitting in a, he like basically goes and sits in a hot tub and he's like, Birdie, come here. I need to relax. And has her do, I think this is where she does the glow on him. And then he appears to her as a child. Is that, mm-hmm. is that his run? Yeah. Um, so I did think it was interesting, but um, but yeah, I'm going to have to read it again to sort of, I think, get the full. Is, uh, is it, it could Naked Sabretooth float your boat? I don't know. I mean, it, it, the character's drawn it in such an exaggerated way. Um, I mean, I don't hate it, but I don't know that it's super my cup of tea. I mean, he's an asshole, so that automatically yeah. is going to turn me off. But he's, yeah, he's dri- he's drawn it like wrestler, hairy, giant yeah. wrestler. Size. Yeah. Okay, let me talk about this series for just a minute, and then we'll talk about what happens. There's a four-issue series. It's 1993. Sabretooth is battling members of the Hand, and he's overwhelmed by ninjas. And Birdie comes in with this giant-ass gun that's literally bigger than her torso. So it's got to be made out of some, like, lightweight metal. And she opens fire on the ninjas and just, like, mows them down in front of her. And, God, she's fucking amazing. Like, piles of bullets stacking up at her feet. It's, like, very 1960s, like, Valentine's Day massacre energy. 
Her boots are like up to her mid thigh. She has the highest heels on, which does not sound at all comfortable. But in in the first X Men appearance, she's kind of in the background, and here she is like front and center, like looking fucking amazing. I, uh, any thoughts on that, like Birdie reveal? It's so good. It's a really great kind of like whoa moment. It's it's the opposite of how she was used in the two video game appearances that she has. I didn't know she had any video game appearances. So I did my research. <laughs> so she appears in the Marvel versus Capcom kind of games as a backup attack for Sabretooth. Oh, so fascinating. He can, he can bring her out and then she shoots, you know, her guns, whatever. But she's this like backup thing. And it, it's the reverse of that in this sort of issue is where she comes out literally guns a blazing, you know, very front and center. And almost as like a she's coming into her like almost like when harley's like yeah i don't she's not quite there yet but like when she's like yeah i don't need you anymore <laughs> to, to the joker but um i think she, i feel like she gets there in steve's run of the marauders but but yeah it's it's a fun sort of uh introduction in this in this miniseries what's the other game that she's in oh they're both like marvel versus capcom because they make several of those um but I believe, yeah, I believe they're both Marvel versus Capcom. That's games. great. I've yeah. never played those. I, uh, I, I mean, I I'll do my research. You, I'll send you a video. I of... do my research, but I never, I've never even thought to look for Birdie in that space. Yeah. So well done, sir. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, okay, so then here's the scene you're referencing. Birdie uh, follows Sabretooth back. Dead ninjas everywhere. Sabretooth goes back, uh, strips down, sits in the hot tub. He's like, I got a headache. And Birdie like tends to him. She's like comments on how tight his muscles are. And he grabs her and throws her into the hot tub in her full costume. So there's a level of like savagery and abuse to this relationship. It's like he demands full loyalty from her. You get the idea that he's paying her, but he's also just a fucking asshole to her constantly. Is this where she says something like, do you really think you should treat someone like this? Who yeah, can yeah. Mess so up using, your mind? using her exact words, she goes, and I'm getting very like Harley Quinn speak as she, that's how it looks. She's like, you should not uh, do that to someone. You let trapes through the inside of your brain. Mm-hmm. All it would take is an aneurysm. And he says, you ain't got the sand to kill me, Birdie, because you know there ain't nowhere far enough for you to run if you tries and fails. It's like very, uh, like very mobster language. And yeah. Sabretooth downs a whole bottle of champagne and all these memories are loose in his head. And Birdie's super pissed off. And she goes, you want it, Mr. Creed? You got it. And she zaps him with her like peak energy. And that's where his like little kid version comes out. And he's like a tortured, abused boy in restraints. And he's like, Birdie, will you be my friend? And then he tries to choke her. And she like uses her glow to like calm the memory down. And the kid starts to snuggle with her instead. And then- I Saber- thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. and then Sabretooth's feeling better. And when he's done, he punches Birdie in the face and knocks her unconscious. Like, thanks, girl. And then like, and they're like, holy shit, like there's domestic violence happening here. So uh, let's break this scene apart for a minute. What what did you like about this? Well, first I was like, I don't think that's how self-care works. Like, (laughs) if you want to take care of yourself and feel relaxed and great, maybe don't hit the person that does that for you. Um, I mean, it's saber tooth. Yeah. But the what I what I meant by interesting in regards to this little kid is that, you know, like you said, the kid tries to like choke her at first. And I think the the comic booky response is like, you know, to shove this kid off and then like telepathically, you know, make it disappear or whatever. But she 
this is a moment where I felt like her character, there was like some sort of la- either a layer peeled back or a new revelation about her um, personality or her mental state because she chooses to go a little deeper and calm this kid down as well. Um, almost as like when she can get rid of the rage and the anger from from people to like, she's trying to show what this person probably really is or would be without all of the trauma and pain. So I really like that about her. Well, she threatens to kill him with an aneurysm and instead calms his inner child down and then he knocks her out anyway. Like, I mean, which do you think she was like, I don't think she was serious. Like, I don't think she was super serious. And like, you know, do you really think you should, you know, she's kind of just being sassy, I guess. Um, Maybe not. I mean, but, if someone knocked me in the head and threw me in the hot tub, I would. But he hadn't done that to her yet, had she? No, yeah, he threw her in the hot tub, and then she's like, "I could fucking kill you." Bitch. Oh, okay. I thought I thought <laughs> he hadn't hit he hadn't hit her, but yeah. Well, then he hits her the again. Tub. Then he hits her again afterward. I, throwing uh, her in the hot tub and ruining her, co- or even just getting her costume wet. No, <laughs> it'd be over in those in those boots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, here's we got to pause for a moment and talk about Tribune. Uh, who is Tribune, Terry Blass? I don't, I, I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> okay, okay. So Tribune is the villain, quote unquote, in the Sabretooth series. Okay. It's it's Sabretooth's son through Mystique. Mystique? Okay, gotcha. A guy named Graydon, Graydon Creed. Creed. Okay, I'm, I'm who, remembering now. Who is a human child of two powerhouse mutants who uh, is kind of secretly backing the Friends of Humanity. He's getting ready to run for president. But this is like white Republican guy on Capitol Hill who has a dark secret about his parents. And as soon as he's done with his constituents, he goes home and puts on a suit of armor and is finding ways to like torture his dad. And so is this, is this the point where someone, someone or Sabretooth goes looking for mystique? Is yeah, yeah. So, okay. Because the, what I remembered most was when they show him a picture of mystique, she's in the most insane Barbarella style mystique outfit <laughs> I've ever seen. Her hair is humongous. I screenshotted this because I thought it was so funny. Um, but then, yeah, the rest of the story picks up where is this where they have dinner together? So, so Tribune wants to Sabretooth and mystique don't know about Graydon. They gave him up. He's a human kid. They don't want him, but he knows they're his parents now. And he wants to get revenge on them. So he has paid off Birdie. Birdie has, like, she's wrapped in a towel after she finishes drying off from the hot tub. Sabretooth's calm. She walks down this hallway with, like, animal heads. And she turns off the building's security systems. So that Graydon Creed's, like, armed men Oh, right. She was, like, betraying him. Yeah, yeah. They come in to, like, kill Sabretooth because she's done. She wants out of whatever this abusive relationship is. And Sabretooth's taken away. And uh, like he promises, I'm going to come back and kill you. And so Bertie, like right from this point, is very willful and like trying to get out of whatever the situation is. We don't know a lot about her except from this issue, but uh, I mean, I would I would look her way out too. But he trusted her. She had free reign of the building. She shut things down, and then she like let Tribune's men come in to save her to the way. Uh, any thoughts on that before we keep going? I just didn't, I mean, I didn't expect Birdie to do that, to do this kind of like betrayal switcheroo, which when you're reading it, you're like, yeah, of course she would. Yeah, but yeah. It, it, was, it was kind of like a fun reveal. So, so uh, we're going to skip over some of the Graydon Creed stuff, but basically his goal, and I have profiled this character. I, I know Graydon Creed pretty well. 
Uh, do you have any Graydon Creed thoughts? Do you like this guy? No, not really. <laughs> uh, there's a wild story that took place while Sabretooth was inverted in the Axis event where he's now the heroic Sabretooth for a while. And he was like Monet's boyfriend because like a spell turned him good. I don't know if you read this era of comics. What? There's a scene where Graydon Creed has been killed and he's trapped in hell. And Sabretooth sacrifices his soul to let his kid out of hell is basically the kind of story that's that's explored. Uh, Carrie Harris explores this in her uh, in her in her Aconite book about Triage and Tempest. This this weird relationship, modern continuity. It's nuts. We're not going to go there today, but okay. these two have a weird history. In this space, Creed, uh, Graydon Creed, is trying to get his father to hunt down Mystique. Like I'm going to kill you unless you kill my mom is basically what's happening here. He has a weird plot. But Sabretooth escapes, he gets away, and he runs back to kill Birdie. And she panics, and she cuts all the tires on his vehicle, and then runs away in his red convertible. But he's, like, chasing her down anyway on a motorcycle. The car crashes. He makes Birdie give him the glow again, and then says, you got to help me go after Mystique. Like, I have to do this. And he's like, I'll keep you alive. We're going to go to Paris and get Mystique. That's basically what happened. But uh, Birdie tried to get away and didn't is kind of what ended up happening. You don't mess with Sabretooth and, <laughs> and survive very likely. I guess, yeah. And then this is the awkward dinner. This is what you're talking about. So Sabretooth, Wolverine, uh, excuse me. I have Wolverine listed here. Was Wolverine here? I believe so. It was, well, it was Sabretooth and Birdie. And Mystique, and Mystique, and, Wolver- and, I think, and Wolverine, Wolverine was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, I'm, I'm clearly skipping over some things. It was a so, double date. <laughs> cute. Birdie and say Birdie and Wolverine can make it, or Birdie and Mystique might be a great couple. Who knows? Uh, but they're sitting out at dinner, and Birdie's asked why she works for Sabretooth, and she says, "Well, it's better than being dead." <laughs> those those aren't your only two options, honey. Is the what I thought. <laughs> She's all cheerful about it. Again, very Harley Quinn energy. Uh, then Sabretooth, this is where like Mystique had this kid and he learns because they slept together a long time ago and he puts all the pieces together. Uh, Birdie blocks like the police from seeing Sabretooth and then like Mystique throws a grenade and they jump off a building and they get a plane with Birdie to go after Graydon and we're skipping it's it's there's revenge now on them on the mind and birdie's sipping a martini and she steps into creed's mind and she gets intel on like where graden's headquarters is turns out Sabretooth has a bomb wired to his heart uh he steals a bus with birdie they throw the driver through the window they drive the bus into graden creed's headquarters there's all these ninjas again birdie like has her machine guns again which (laughs) i love her here Uh, i want to know how she got that machine gun through tsa (laughs) because <laughs> they're in paris now maybe pim particles <laughs> okay sure i'll buy it or maybe or she, like use the telepathically her... blocked tsa from yeah there you go these aren't the droids you're looking for right TSA agents this is uh, not the insanely huge machine gun you're looking for <laughs> so she's gunning down ninjas Sabretooth savagely like rips the bomb out of his own heart uh, she hits a ninja with a mind blast. Graydon Creed is defeated, but they leave him alive. She enters his mind, and there's like, anyway, all this stuff. And then at the very end, Graydon stabs Birdie to get back at Sabretooth and kills her. So this like valued employee, uh, Graydon lives, and he's the one that kills Birdie. So we're summing up a whole bunch of stuff. We're We're analyzing Birdie mostly, but tell me your thoughts on this series and how uh how it ends that's the that's the sad part 
I didn't expect that it would end with Birdie dying. Um, I do like the inclusion in the storyline of Mystique and Wolverine. I think <clears throat> um, any story you tell about Sabretooth is probably likely tied to Wolverine a bit. And then um, it was, is this the first time we ever found out that Mystique and Sabretooth had a kid? There are hints that they're passed together. Okay. But yeah, this is yeah. this is the series where we have the revelation that Graydon's their child. So I think so. Yeah, I feel like if I had been reading comics for a while before this, I would feel like this was a great series that was sort of like a, the culmination of a lot of things that um, were leading up to it. So yeah, I thought it was good. It was the it was fun. end is pathetic. Again, if you look at Graydon as this like awful white Republican like capitol hill guy like fuck you dad i'll kill your girlfriend instead then yeah like she kind of gets fridged at the end and it's unnecessary and she's not back until krakoa like uh this is well so that's what i have a question about them because there's this X where does the x-men legend stuff with birdie fall in the timeline so we're going to talk about maverick number one and x-men legends number eight and nine and both of them fall before chronologically before her death okay so they're flashbacks to previous adventures that gotcha. involve Birdie as part of the story. But she's dead here. She's gone. No. <laughs> and it's so gross because you feel like she could have protected herself. I almost would have liked it better if she let them believe she died and then she just walked away because they didn't know any better. Right. Like what if, see, I guess you could easily do that though. If like, like that's the way that you bring her back if there wasn't this Krakoa resurrection stuff and they just say that like oh well great she yeah she made everybody believe that that's what happened she made Graydon Creed think that he killed her or whatever you know I guess you could do that it's a good series it's a good read and it's a great exploration into who Sabretooth is Birdie's a little bit supplemental but boy does she get a few great moments in this journey uh she's gone until 1997 where we get Maverick launching into his own series. Tell us who Maverick is, Terry, if, you, if you're familiar with this character. I am not, so I think you better do <laughs> So Wolverine is all like hidden memories, mysterious past, right? Writers love to go back and be like, did you know he fought in this war? And did you know he was a mercenary? And did you know he killed this guy? Because he doesn't remember any of this. And a big part of Wolverine's backstory is this mystery of him being on a group called Team X. And he's like an armed operative being forced to go send in and like kill civilians or like do whatever he's told. Sabretooth is one of his teammates in this. And so is Maverick. So Maverick is an assassin with superpowers. And in this era of comics, he's got the legacy virus and they're launching him into his own series. And it's kind of about him dying and trying to claim his past. And it gets a little confusing because there's a blonde telepath lady hanging out with him named Elena Ivanova. Elena, yeah, that's what I was confused about. You're like, story. wait, who's this? And that's a that's another Patreon episode for another time. Yeah. But there's a little bit about Maverick. And this is 1997. It's another Larry Hama story. And we get a flashback to like Sabretooth's life back when he's hanging out in Hong Kong and Birdie is with him and Sabretooth fights these mercenaries and she hits him with like a pink psychic assault, but he survives and slashes her. And this this seems to be the story where he has met her. So yeah, she, like the first time they not she's the like first a, time we see her, but the first time they meet each other. Right, right. She's like a freelance mercenary working for like the Hong Kong Triad, and then Sabretooth gets involved and like recruits her. 
seemingly like maybe forces her into solitude somehow so i'll say I'll, I'll say this then as i read this my one big question was while i was reading this like what was it that led her basically like what was her childhood like where is she from what, what led her to be a mercenary is kind of what i wanted to know yeah but i guess that's the birdie miniseries that we don't have right like you know, Chris Claremont could tell us uh, one page of Birdie's story and it would change everything. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's amazing at that. I I often try to think when I'm doing these character profiles of what would it be like to have this power? If I had the ability to manipulate emotions and thoughts and memories around me, I think I would become a villain of some kind. I think I would probably Oh no, I'd see... be the biggest superhero because I'd head straight to the White House. <laughs> <laughs> but I would probably end up in some sort of life where I wanted riches and an easy life and kind of had a little bit of sense of narcissism and like the world owed me something. I think if we had that power, that's a natural place to take it. As much as I don't want to be that guy. Birdie has this ability where she may easily get overwhelmed by people's emotions and thoughts, uh, but also she has this ability to hide herself. Uh, it's it's tricky, but Sabretooth sees right through it. She can't hide from him. Maybe uh, she is someone who who did that, got everything she wanted, and then realized this is not what life is, mm -hmm. you know? So I kind of yeah. like that angle. We get to fill in the blanks, but there's a lot of spaces you could take this character yeah. based on what her past is. Uh, anything else to say on the Maverick? appearance no i think this is the one i wrote the least amount of notes on <laughs> and then let's jump way far in the future we've got uh another larry hammas story so he clearly likes this character and he keeps yeah. getting brought back to do more more and more wolverine so do, do we know who created her uh it, it he was uh she first appeared in a scott libdell jim lee comic but larry ham is the one that really fleshed her out okay uh so x-men legends is a new series in the krakowin era where we're taking classic writers and having them tell stories based in the original continuity. So like uh, Chris Claremont and, and Nascenti and uh, uh, goodness, names are escaping my brain at the moment. <laughs> Louise, Louise Simonson, like all these creators are telling stories during their classic eras of comics. Uh, did you read X-Men Legends 8 and 9? I did. Tell me uh, what we learn about Birdie in this like Larry Hama story that seems to be set before the Sabretooth Limited series at some point. So is this, she's working for him. Is this the one, is this the series, the two, it's two issues, right? Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Is this where she's like flying the plane? They are flying a plane. This is like the hand okay. of like human traffic yeah. little kids. So I guess like Sabretooth and Birdie are, are they hired to like bring these two kids in? It seemed and... to me like Sabretooth was trying to take over the hands operation. Like he wanted yeah. to be the one to traffic the kids, which is terrible. And they're kind of working against like Lady Deathstrike, right? And yep. is it is it Omega Red? Omega Red, Wolverine yeah. and Jubilee are here. Yeah. So it's in, I like that there's these different, I guess, duos trying to kind of like accomplish the same thing, but like working against each other. I think in these two issues... I think Jubilee's really badass. <laughs> like she does a lot of great stuff in these two issues, utilizing her powers well. Um, I I don't know why I, I I feel this way. Maybe it's not true, but I feel like Birdie is a chauffeur a lot of the time. Like she seems to always be either driving or flying. She's the chippy. Yeah, she's doing yeah. stuff to support Sabretooth. And um, but that again that adds another layer to her character because I was like, oh, she's a pilot too. She can fly a plane. Great. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So that was kind of cool. There is a great panel that I like, I think towards the end of the second issue where they're flying away and she's she's not she's not really looking straight ahead or at Sabretooth. She's looking out the window at Jubilee. And I think that this that implies this connection that they've made where they kind of like either understand each other or have kind of become friendly. And I really liked that. I thought that was a, another cool sort of little thing. Um, I also in this in these two issues was interested in in the glow again because I feel like um, is this something I, I wanted to know if this was a thing that she named or Sabretooth named like do, did she come up with this is what I do it's called the glow or was Sabretooth like I need the glow like a drug I, I believe he was the one to first use the word okay. but I want to I want to presume that that's like she coined it because it's cool <laughs> I'm gonna give it to maybe, Bert. maybe maybe it's both though I think you can do that if she's like I do this it it she you know I see a scene where she's like well I can help you I can calm you down it feels kind of like, I don't know, it's like a it's like a glow. And then he could be like, yeah, give me the glow. <laughs> so I see both there. Um, but yeah, they they mention it again. And I feel like that's, I feel like they want us to know that that's basically her signature power. You know, she can do other things with telepathy too, like other little kind of things, but that she focus, her, her focus is like this calming kind of glow energy thing. So to sum up this series or these two issues and just like two words from Bertie's perspective, Sabretooth wants to steal these like kids from the hand so he can sell them himself. They fight Wolverine and Jubilee who are trying to stop the hand and Lady Deathstrike and Omega Red are trying to get the kids for themselves because they're these little mutant kids and we'll probably never see them again. Uh, the, the two big things for Birdie in this series, Sabretooth makes her do the glow on him again. And she like goes into his mind and there's all these like awful horrors. And she's like, ugh. And he's like, ah, this feels good to relive these horrors, which is interesting because the glow seems to bring people comfort. And for Sabretooth, that means like, like bloodbaths, <laughs> crazy trauma. Uh, she also has a moment where she's like, she and Jubilee like high five each other. And they're like, let's, let's rein these guys in. And she uses the glow on Sabretooth and Wolverine and her and Jubilee kind of secretly help these two kids get away. Isn't and it then, sort of, I mean, maybe it's not implied. It's more like, duh. But isn't she sort of utilizing the glow so that Sabretooth and, and Wolverine can work together without mm -hmm. killing each other? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then they kind of manipulate the situation so that the kids can get away. And yeah. at, the, at the end, Sabretooth's like, fuck, we lost everything. And she's like, oh, that's okay. And she's still working for him. But like, she did something good. Yeah. So this is like another example of her in this awful space, but she's using this like willful energy to create some sort of good. And this like bond between her and Jubilee, who like they have this like last glance as the series yeah. is ending between them. It's it's kind of cute. Uh, Birdie does not get a lot of real estate, but she's a good character in this space. So you can see the heroism showing up for her. Yeah. Um, and then we have uh, X-Men Unlimited, where Steve Orlando uh, brings her back into an X-Men Green story. Uh, are you reading X-Men Green at all? It's been a crazy ride. Goddamn. I'm, I'm not, but tell me about it. Should I? It's good. Yeah, it started out and it's like a recurring series in the X-Men Unlimited Infinity comic. It's been reprinted now a few times. Basically what's going on, there's a little mutant kid named Curse. Who, whenever she makes a wish, 
the wish will come true, but in ways she doesn't intend. So if she makes a good wish, okay. bad things happen. If she makes a bad wish, good thing, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. She has cursed nature girl, who's like the mutant with the antlers, uh, to like <clears throat> take a stand against like humans who are destroying the environment. Right, so okay. Nature girl's like on a rampage. She's killing people right and left. Sauron joins their team. Like there's a lot Remember of- Remember a panel of like a weird fawn guy, like with like goat legs? I don't know. I think that's Nature Girl. Okay. <laughs> like she sure. she has her antlers ripped off and like dyes the top half of her head black. Yeah, okay. It's like goth Nature Girl. Like she's a serial killer now and it's it's kind of wrapping up I think Steve Orlando. Ooh, her like, like her like next level like evolution like that incarnation of her should just be called Mother Nature. Yes. There is a Captain mm. America villain named Brother Nature by the way. I know and him, also yeah. a mutant and also a mutant on Krakoa named Brother brother nature right. mm-hmm. <laughs> so i was I, I was doing a project for a little bit i should pick it up again because it was fun where i i told people you know message me a text description of a very obscure mutant character that you think i've never heard of and i will draw this character having never looked them up or seen them and brother brother nature was one of them and um, that was really fun to do. <laughs> so I, I think that'd be fun. I should do that again. I love the obscure. It makes me happy. I think it's uh, I think it's brilliant. So in this X-Men Green story, Steve Orlando's taken over. There's like a big fire on a Roxxon station in the ocean. And X-Corpse, who's like the money mutants, uh, we don't need to go there, yeah. sends a team of mutants to try to contain the damage. Brother Nature is there. <laughs> Uh, as is Wind Dancer and Triage and a really obscure character named Alchemist and Birdie. And Birdie is assigned there for like aftercare. So they're like cleaning up the mess. Birdie's like eating civilians and like calming them down. Wait, where did and where does this fall in the timeline? Uh, this is like Krakoan era. This is like okay. Her, so after her resurrection. Yeah, this is like her first okay. appearance post-resurrection. This is where we learn gotcha. she's alive again, basically. Uh, uh, and she finds one guy who like nature girl changed into a tree or cursed did it's, it's bizarre, but basically we see her acting out and like being part of a team and it's great. And then we see her like for a moment in Legion of X for a couple of issues and the altar. Uh, but my favorite appearance of birdies is her most recent, which is the Marauders volume two, number six by Mr. Steve Orlando, who we love and respect. Uh, she's like a therapist in this role. Tell me about Marauders number six. It's a great, this is a great story. It's, I don't know if I'll describe it that well, but it's a great issue where Birdie, I guess, helps sort of each member of the Marauders with an issue they're having um, or goes into, helps them go into their head and sort of witness a moment in their life um, that's impactful or whatever. And like I said before, she's giving Deanna Troy. So I feel like she's got this new layer to her character where she's serving, you know, like you said, an aftercare. She's sort of like a counselor. Um, we see that, like, I think in your notes, it said that she was like, you know, we see that she's been working with Aurora. But in this issue, she's like been working with everyone now. Yeah. So let me give a little context. Aurora is one member of this team. This is the Alpha Flight member who has multiple personalities. And it's briefly mentioned that that Birdie has been helping Aurora get control of her disorder. This is during the AXE event, the Avengers X-Men Eternals event, Kieran Gillen's recent like Maxi Marvel event. And there's a god called the Progenitor that has been created 
And the progenitor is judging everyone on earth in 24 hours. He kind of shows up in your mind. He gives you like a little test and then he gives you a thumbs up or thumbs down. So the marauders who are like newly assembled, it's a weird kind of LGBTQ people of color team that I love, but they're, they've been on this series of like crazy missions in Shi'ar space and then they face judgment. So what's happening here is Birdie has entered the dreamscape of Somnus, who is a LGBT character, uh, 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 Steve Orlando creation. Uh, and they're in the dreamscape and she's doing like complex therapy with a whole team, but only like a few seconds is happening in the real world. She's doing this real quick to help everybody decompress. And we get like a page about each character and it's actually really dense. It's kind of, it like takes a while to read and disseminate everything because Birdie's acting in the role of therapist in this like ghost of Christmas present place where she's in their memories guiding them through things that's kind of what's happening here it's it's a complicated setup but it's still i mean but i think it's still fun to to go through and read through because you get oh, it's great get to see so much of what what's going on in these characters heads yeah if you're going to tie into an event this is a beautiful way to do it because we get some really yeah. slow moments what were some of your favorite moments with birdie kind of helping do the therapy for the marauders here i like um obviously there's a, a scene with um somnus where I guess he was having sort of a dream that, that North Star appears to him and is like, whatever, you're too much of a scaredy cat to well, come to, out. To put, it in, to put it in context, the progenitor appeared to Somnus as North Star to confront yes. him about his fear in coming out. So she's helping him go through this memory now. Okay, go and ahead. Uses, but uses North Star as this like, I'm cooler than you because I wasn't scared to come out kind of thing, which is really weird. Um, <clears throat> but I like sort of how Somnus um, navigates through that. Mm -hmm. um, there's also another part where... So before you move on, pause for a second. Somnus is a character who showed up in Marvel Pride, uh, the voice, Marvel Voices Pride. He lived his whole life having never come out. But his power is he can share a dream with you and live a whole lifetime in that dream. Yeah. So he and Dokken had like a whole life together, but it was just one night. Uh, um, in in this scene, and 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 it's so beautifully rendered by Steve. This Somnus scene, Somnus talks about with Birdie how he has two big parts of his identity: the gay part and the mutant part. And he references how when I was closeted, there was a disease attacking my people and killing them. And then when I considered coming out as a mutant, there's another disease, the legacy virus, killing people for being mutant. He's like both parts of my identity were under attack. Beautiful, beautiful character exploration. I, I was really impressed. Sorry, go ahead. You were going to change. Oh, no, just, just that that's my kind of favorite part, I think, of the issue. Um, I, I do want to say that when Somnus uh, made his first appearance in Marvel Pride, he was drawn by uh, Claudia Aguirre, who drew my books hotel dare and lifetime mm, passes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and she's she's like my sister she's amazing um no but there's another scene you might have to help me with here with uh is it Tem is her name's tempest right tempo tempo who's another okay. lgbt icon i love this character um, she's the uh, mutant liberation front woman of color lesbian who can like slow down and speed up time i love her I, and i think now it's been established that she can travel through time too Ish. a little bit yeah yeah <laughs> um but she has a scene with i think a character from uh, uh, her past like that was on a team with her in the past that sue sue i don't know uh, uh sue mo mo yeah um and i guess there's some stuff revealed there i i, I always like a scene where like where you learn something that happened a long time ago that 
that you should have probably known about or <laughs> like some sort of reveal from from these past days um <clears throat> and so i i think that was really interestingly written um but i mean i mean there's other scenes with like bishop um where you go into his head so who are the other characters that that we go through in this so uh, let's well let's talk about temple for just a second part of what steve's exploring and this is so complex and sci-fi and wonderful is Tempo has the ability to go back in time and change things. So it's referencing in this scene an old an old mission where the Mutant Liberation Front is fighting X-Force. And they're fighting some weird bad guys and it goes really badly. A bunch of members of X-Force are killed. And Sumo convinces Tempo, this is off panel, we don't see it in the original New Mutants run, but Sumo convinces uh, uh, Tempo to go back in time and change things. And they save the X-Force members' lives. But as soon as that happens, Cable shoots Sumo in the head and he's dead. Like in a, in a mission shortly after that. So what we're learning about Tempo in this is that she's the only one who can remember what Sumo's like act of heroism was because the timeline has been changed. Nobody else remembers. She has this relationship with time where whenever she changes things, she's the only one who can remember what it was like. And now her friend is gone because she altered the timeline to save the other heroes. It's it's an interesting thing. Uh, so Steve's giving us some really cool moments uh, in like the psychology of superpowers, if you will. Uh, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, that's that's like endless story possibilities. Mm-hmm. Are we living Great. are we living in Tempo's like timeline, or is she living in a bunch of different timelines of her own? <laughs> you know, like I I don't know. <laughs> Well, and Sumo's a character who's a complete throwaway with like a racist name. Uh, and he's giving some substance to this character that nobody cared about before. It's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that, that that's something fun to explore because it's like, it doesn't matter if we're living in constantly different timelines of her making if we don't remember that we are. I guess it doesn't, you know? So <clears throat> let me let me walk through this page by page. This is Steve Orlando, Andrea Bricardo. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do a quick view of this. Birdie is the therapist. She tells the team uh, when she's introduced to them. So obviously the circumstances aren't ideal. They never are. The world's still being judged. You're all reeling from your encounters. I'm sure you've all got questions, who passed, who failed, but that's irrelevant to me. I'm not here to judge, I'm here to help. I'm Birdie. You've heard of combat medics. I'm a combat psychologist. Used to keep Sabretooth calm as a full-time job. That's my gift, the glow, empathy, telepathy. I collate thoughts, feelings, and memories to help people. Aurora and I've been working together. She thought maybe you all could use some glow. And then she enters the dreamscape. So let's talk about her for a second as a combat psychologist, kind of breaking down what her powers are. Any thoughts here? I think it's I think it's a great portrayal. It's probably something that mutants could have used for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> So, like, imagine how different they'd be if they all had a little bit of counseling. <laughs> so I think it's a fun use of this character. I like that she is now sort of in this space where her character isn't um, tied as a necessity to Sabretooth. You know, she's like working independently of him doing her own thing. And it makes me wonder, since since what we're dealing with now is a resurrection of Birdie, if this is who she probably wanted to be this whole time, because she can she can now live a life away from Sabretooth. She's living in a world with options now. Mutants, yeah. aren't, mutants aren't like in a deadly space. They're thriving on Krakoa. This is also another example of what they call mutant circuits. 
she's able to do all this like therapy very quickly because she has entered Somnus's dreamscape. It's like Birdie's powers working uh, in conjunction with Somnus's powers. I love that. That's possible. great. Yeah, yeah. I always love a good mutant circuit. Okay. So well, but wait, first, if they're if so, if Somnus can live like a whole lifetime in a dream, right? Kind of. Mm-hmm. And he's working with Birdie, but tempo can also like affect time. Uh-huh. Then they have like all the time in the world working there's together. A, there's a mission like, in the Orlando know? series where they're off in Shi'ar space and there's like this deadly battle and Somnus pulls them all in the dreamscape and he's got, he's like, we got four hours. There's like two seconds passing outside. Let's get this done. <laughs> this is like, let's put a plan in place. It's great. Steve's doing great stuff with these characters. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really pleased. I know there's been a lot of criticism of this series, but I love it. I, uh, so I, mean, I really like what he's doing. I think it's great. Birdie works with Bishop first, and he's confronting his guilt about having lost his teammates, Malcolm and Randall, from like the old uncanny first appearances with like Will Spartaccio. Mm-hmm. And he wants to find a way to bring them back. And she helps him like get rid of his guilt. Then she shows up with uh, with Aurora, and there's a vision of like all her different personalities. Aurora is like under attack by another mutant telepath named Headlock. And uh, and basically, Birdie helps her like keep control of herself. Wait, an- another mutant telepath? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Headlock needs his own uh, Patreon episode. He's super obscure, weird fucking villain. I, I uh, he's a weird telepath. Like we'll we'll talk about him another time. Okay. He's a weird. He's an old Alpha Flight villain. He like showed up in the Thunderbolts. Like he's he's not super common. Love it. Uh, then she sits with Tempo, and this is where they go back and have that scene where she learns about Sumo's past, and Tempo wants to bring Sumo back. Then she sits with uh, Psylocke, who's the character Canon. Uh, Psylocke has recently been through some shit in which her daughter's genetic code was destroyed by havoc in the... Oh, uh, let me slow that story down for okay. you. <laughs> uh, Betsy, Betsy Braddock lived in Psylocke's mind and body yep. for years and years. And now we have this character, Canon, back. And in the, in the modern Fallen Angels series, we learn that she had a daughter who died. And in the Hellion series by Zeb Wells, we learn that Mr. Sinister has her daughter's genetic code and says, I will revive her, but you work for me now. And he he like uses it to control Psylocke in the Hellion series. Okay. But at the end of the Hellion series, Havoc, who's being manipulated by Empath, destroys the code. And basically Psylocke's daughter is, is gone now. There's no way to bring her back. But they use this to turn the tables on Sinister. It's kind of, I'm summing up a whole lot of stuff, but this is Birdie sitting with Psylocke in these moments and like helping her confront her like guilt and purpose. Then we see the Somnus scene with Northstar where he's talking about, I never came out as a mutant or as gay. Then we go to Dawkin, who's like sitting in a pool full of monkeys, like hit monkey style, uh, talking about like his purpose and wanting to be good enough and having a new lease on life. And he, uh, he's got a new code name that he chooses here as Fang. And that's okay. kind of where things wind up. So Birdie says, uh, once I felt what the progenitor showed you, I could soften it, diffuse it. That's the glow. That's what I'm using. We broke new ground today. We call this hyperbolic time therapy. It's months of work in minutes. And God, I wish I could market this in my practice. <laughs> I was going to say, how do you feel about that? <laughs> and uh, she never got a chance to work with Cassandra Nova. Uh, there's a moment right. at the end where she goes, I, I would have loved to peek inside your leathered head. And Cassandra Nova says, how unprecedented. A canary that begs for the coal for mine. The coal mine. <laughs> Just so good. Um, and then they're off traveling through time line. again. That's, that's where we but I I did wonder, what do you think she would have seen had she gone into Cassandra's mind? Ooh, I'm going to let you answer that question. Cassandra's a twist. I think, I think a chaotic hellscape of 
fuckery. <laughs> that, like that. I think I, I would have loved if she had done that, and then Birdie would have been like, uh, "Never mind." This it would have been. It would have been like a sex dungeon full of like mutants being like pegged in slings yeah. while like children are being murdered in the background. <laughs> probably. I mean, probably. Ugh, okay. Uh, spoilers for new listeners, but I read the new Marauders that just came out today as we're recording oh. this right before. And uh, Kitty Pride has her revenge on Cassandra Nova in it because Cassandra Nova killed Kitty Pride's dad, and it's great. Good job, Steve Orlando. Wow. Well, yeah, no, I need to catch up. <laughs> it's it's good stuff. Uh, spoilers. Um, the last two things I want to mention about Birdie are background appearances. She's not specifically mentioned, but in X Men Unlimited Volume One Number Three which is from 1993, Fabian Nicieza tells a story about Sabretooth holding a telepath hostage because he's going crazy. He's like, Birdie, this woman who used to help me is dead now and I need you to fucking take this away. And it, like, it just kind of shows you how much he needed her, but she's not around. Hmm. And similarly, in X-Men Volume 1, number 28, Fabian Nicieza has a story uh, in that same volume of X-Men we were talking about previously, about how no one can help me the way that Birdie used to. Like, he wants Jean Grey to try, but it's not the same as the glow. That's right. So there's just kind of a couple quick mentions of Birdie that show Sabretooth's dependence on her. There's uh, another one that I came across that earlier when I was telling you, um, you know, I did know about her, but I didn't realize it. <clears throat> it's because there's an issue of X-Men, I don't, remember what it must have been like 96 97 something like that but it was an issue drawn by joe moderera mm -hmm. and it's where Sabretooth is being kept in like i don't know is it the danger room or something and boom boom is like feeding him at night with like bringing him like a saucer of milk or something i don't yes. know like he's a pet yes. right but then he tricks her into basically letting her out or letting him out this and is the issue does, where Psylocke gets gutted. Yeah. Yes. Right and, before the Crimson Dawn. Yes. And she puts her like psychic knife thing, whatever, through his head. In it, and this is where they do mention in like an attempt to give him the glow like Birdie used to do. And Birdie is mentioned here. And I think maybe I just didn't know. Like, I don't think I'd ever seen her. So I was like, I don't know who this is. I just kept reading. But I did you know read about her i guess when i was 17 years old and didn't realize i did that issue i feel is a is sort of i mean it's an overused word now but i do feel like that's like an iconic issue it's great where um where psylocke that that, that kicks off like a big storyline for that character mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i, yeah, am, I thought that was interesting i am interviewing ben rab in one of these episodes in a few weeks about the Crimson Dawn. Uh, it's going to wow, be about cool. the Crimson Dawn, which is going to be super cool. Uh, Birdie was a big part of Sabretooth's life. And in recent years, we are getting her uh, kind of have a, something on her own. She, uh, she has her own motive, her own space, and she's just waiting for writers to pick her up and use her at this point. Uh, there's so much to flesh out about her past, about what she's capable of, about the specifics of how her power works. But overwhelmingly, outside of her look and unique power, it's Steve Orlando's recent Marauders use of her that is my by far my favorite that sets up. I would agree with that character. Yeah, absolutely. And fuck Graydon Creed for stabbing her that one time. <laughs> I know, right? What uh, what are your thoughts as we're kind of wrapping up our conversation about Miss Birdie? <clears throat> um, 
sort of what you just said is that I think her, the best use of her so far, there's two, my two favorite uses of her so far are number one, what Steve has just done with her and Marauders. And the second one is um, from those two issues of X-Men where she sort of befriends Jubilee and she's flying a plane. She's pretty cool there. Um, <clears throat> I would just hope that um, there are more appearances of her mm -hmm. um, coming up because I think, like you said, it, it maybe as sort of like a secondary member of the Marauders where if she's able to work with Somnus and Tempo, it's like unparalleled what they can do the Absolutely. Three of them together. And we still need to explore her going into Cassandra's head. <laughs> so I would love a whole issue of that. Do you know what I want as much as I don't want it is I want to see a confrontation between her and Sabretooth on Krakoa with her coming out on top. I mean, Victor Lavelle has big plans for Sabretooth. I don't think Birdie's going to show up there. God, that series. If you're not reading Sabretooth and the Exiles right now or that first mini, it's good, good, good. It's So I, I would need to know because the so I get really into like a new when they this is of course inevitably inevitably what happens they'll announce like the new X Men number one or whatever right and then I collect it for like eight or nine issues read it and then by the time the eighth issue comes along all those characters have branched out into twenty other titles and I'm like <laughs> I don't know what to read now and I'm lost and the some of the characters I love are no longer in this series et cetera et cetera but the last I remember like Sabretooth died. And they decided not to bring him back, right? So, Sabretooth, so like that's what I remember <laughs> in Hawks in Hawkspox. Sabretooth was thrown in the pit because he had killed some right. humans on a mission. Uh, the first Sabretooth limited series by Victor Lavelle is exploring what the pit is, and Sabretooth has oh. formed. He's formed like a mental interface with Krakoa. It's a commentary about imprisonment and rehabilitation. Okay. Uh, Xavier has tossed a bunch of other mutants down in the pit, including some people who were thrown for some pretty minor offenses. And Sabretooth now has this landscape where he can torture them. But the series ends with all of them breaking out and escaping Krakoa. And now there's a new series called Sabretooth and the Exiles that's exploring what happens next, basically, without without oh, getting yeah. too in the weeds. It's it's great. So, Victor Little is brilliant. First issue so is five. Of... First limited is five. The second limited is going to be five. And then apparently there's going to be one more limited after that. Of Sabretooth and the mm -hmm. So it's like a triptych. It's like a it's like a ah. trilogy of Victor Lavelle Sabretooth stories. Nice. Well, yeah, I think that's fun. I do want to read that. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's really good. Uh Birdie uh confronting Sabretooth and coming out on top would be an iconic story. I would Why love not to see use her in one of these. Like, like, that'd be great. I would love um, to see a yeah, they they need to have a moment where they I don't know, hash it out. <laughs> I'm the I'm the continuity guy. So part of my job as I'm doing these interviews and writing entries or whatever is to keep track of what's going on. When new books are coming out, I just read them as they come out and then I put them away. But a year later or when the series concludes, that's when I'll pick out the whole series and I'll sit down uh. with like my pen and paper and I'll read it all the way through because I can see what the writers were like seeding along the way. I mean, if we take your Reptile series... The revelation of who the big bad guy is doesn't happen till toward the end of the book. But then when I go back and I read it from the start, I know what you were doing and what you were seeding and what reptiles and mm -hmm. like amulet is capable of and like what's going to happen to his parents. So once I know the end, I can go back to the beginning and like take all my notes because that's when it makes sense to do so. No, I don't know if this is bizarre. I don't know if I created that character. It's, that's a weird sentence, right? Um, because... 
Reptile sort of stands alone and it's not tied much to other Marvel books. I think the only thing tying it is um, Kamala's Law, right? That was happening with the champions. Um, I wanted there to be some sort of connection to Marvel history. And so as I researched Reptile's character, I was like, oh, well, who created this amulet? Oh, it was the Hag of the Pits. Um, <clears throat> Hag, Hag of the Pits, not Hagatha. Um, Hagatha Pits is a great Hagatha drag Pits name. Is a great drag name. <laughs> yes. It's an, okay, I've been searching for a, a Marvel drag queen name and you've just given it to me, so I'm stealing it. Um, <clears throat> but uh, she's a very witchy character, obviously. But um, anyway, <clears throat> so I was able to like go back and read a little bit about her and there is an issue of, um, what is it, Moon Boy and Devil Dinosaur, where the hag is seen with this hairy ape son, but you never get his name. And all you see is him helping her a little bit, and that's it. Well, if you didn't so, create this character, you certainly, like, you gave him the name Megalith, you made him That's what I mean. Is like, so, so I could say, well, this is just another kid she had, I don't know. Or the idea that this is that character and this is more about him, whatever you want, you know. So. I love this nerd shit in this fictional universe where you get to yeah. smack it all up. We'll do a Hag of the Pits number another time. I, I really wanted, I, I really would, I mean, it does, it wouldn't have fit, I think, unless I had two more issues and could build it up or something. But I really wanted Spider-Girl to show up and help in the final kind of battle because I I much prefer Reptile with Anya. Been finessed. Oh, yes, um, because yeah. she was so mean to him. <laughs> um, and the fact that he couldn't get over finesse was was what uh, one of the things that I think helped me write his character as stuck. You know, mm -hmm. he like he's mm -hmm. he's stuck in the past in terms of his girlfriend. Not he can't get over her. Doesn't know where his parents are. All this stuff. And so having spider girl at the end of reptile, he's texting with her, you know, and Julian, yeah. his cousin is like, who are you messaging? Who's Anya? Oh my God. I love finesse was, for it, but yeah, she's a terrible partner for reptile. <laughs> yeah, and, and Anya and reptile flirt with each other all the time. And there's something there. So it's, he's anyway. a cute boy. I get it. Yeah. You're also a cute boy, Mr. Terry Blast. It's Thank so good you. to spend time with you, my friend. <laughs> I, I I love seeing your face. So we're gonna drop this on uh, January 18th. Um, as we're wrapping up, where can people find you online? And is there anything you can plug or would like to plug? You can find me um, at Terry Blass on Instagram and Twitter. I guess on TikTok too, although I have very few TikToks. Um, and right now I have nothing to plug. <laughs> I guess my most recent stuff is um, you can find there's an anthology called um, Manana, which is all sci-fi stories about Latinx characters. Um, and then I have a story in that. And I also have a story in Young Men in Love, which is receiving a lot of nice attention as one of the best books of, you know, last year. <clears throat> um, I have a story in that that was illustrated by Bradley Clayton. Yeah, yeah. And Bradley's been on my show. Yeah. Bradley and I did a Patreon episode together about Tommy and Cybell, uh, which was also oh, wow. fun. Uh, so listen to that. It's a lot about like trans lives and what that means and violence. Nice. Uh, uh, Terry also recently wrote uh, Sam Alexander, Nova, and Viv Vision for I the did. Marvel Voices Infinity comic as well. Check that out. It's good. Yeah. All about identity. Yeah. This like There's a little alien girl who's being told she has to be one thing and she just wants to be herself and uh, it's great i liked it a lot 
Yeah, I thought it was fun to write. That was, you know, I was like, I'm sorry, but um, he needs somebody to talk to. So uh, can I use Viv? And they were like, sure. Lesbian icon Viv Vision. Trans icon too. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a great um, editor, an audio editor uh, named Jasmine Estrada, and she works for Marvel every once in a while. She's trans and she wrote a great um, article in one of the Marvel voices all about how Viv is a trans icon for her. Well, and I need to not only go read this, but now I need to reach out to Jasmine Estrada. <laughs> look up Jasmine. Jasmine is wonderful, super sweet, really, really kind and really helpful. And um, I guess a tiny bit of tea is that I really wanted to write Viv in Nova as a love letter to Jasmine to give Jasmine and trans people more content that they could attribute to Viv as a trans icon. Mm. No, in that in that story, the alien girl, Ambrose, tells her, like, how do you how can you know what this is like? You're not even human. You're a robot. And Viv says something like, Well, yeah, but it's not for you to tell me who I am and what and what I am. Like I know just like you know yourself better than anybody and you know who you are. Like I know who I am. And this alien kid's like, Oh yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. <laughs> The so. the Vision series that introduced Viv Vision a few years back is one of my favorite things Marvel's published in 10 years. It's it's so nice. wonderful. If you've never read it, you should read it. It's incredible. I've read like one done. issue of it, so I should go back. Yeah, it's so it's worth the trade. Like read it front to back. It it builds, it resolves. It's a it's incredible storytelling. I'm really, I'm really impressed by it. Nice. Uh well, Alrighty. you can find for listeners, you can find Gray Malkin Lane, Gray Malkin P like podcast on Twitter, Gray Malkin underscore lane on Instagram. Instagram. Green Lane also has a TikTok. We're trying to post audio video clips of our old shows and like doing modern announcements. It's a lot of fun. Around the time this episode comes out, I will be releasing on the main channel our review of X-Men number 63 with the Silver Sable writer, Gregory Wright. Uh, my guest on that show is Demanda Martini. We have a ton of LGBT content and we get to rip the Savage Land mutates to shreds, which is always a blast. Uh, Terry was on my show for the first Savage Land with Kesar. That was super fun. Uh, there's a lot of Savage Land stuff coming out on my show at the beginning of this year. We'll, uh, you'll see as we get there. I love and then it. my next uh, Patreon ap episode after this is going to be the uh, Wolverine vampire villain, Sapphire Sticks with the incredible writer, Jim Zub, who is just such a delight. Uh, so uh, listen out for that as well. Mr. Terry Blast, it's wonderful to see you. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. It's always fun to be here with you. All right, everybody. We'll see you back here next time on Great Malkin Lane's Patreon. <laughs>